Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're the God of angel armies. Thank you for going before us, Lord. You were here before we got here this week. And uh, Lord, you will um, watch over us as we go home. And I thank you, Lord, that you are beside us. And you're the God of all the angel armies. And you are our God. And you are everything we need this morning. And so I pray, Father, that you would teach us from your word. I pray that you would change us, God, because you're our only hope of being changed and becoming the people that you've always wanted us to be. And so we thank you, God, for your presence with us this morning, and we thank you for what you're about to do in our lives today and how we're never going to be the same, God, because of what you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. God is good. All the time. Yeah, I love this week. I love being here. It's a great gift to me, um, just getting to worship, singing songs. I don't know how you picked my three favorite songs this morning, but I appreciate that. I really do. And uh, I appreciate all of you and uh, especially the counselors and sponsors. And, and really, this is kind of the one week of my life where I get sustained Bible teaching. And uh, I love Scott. Uh, he's one of my favorite preachers in the world. So getting to be out here is not a chore or a burden for me. It's a great gift. Getting to be with you is a great gift. And uh, I'm grateful. I wonder, is anybody here a wrestler? Anybody wrestle for their high school? I see a wrestler there. Wrestler? Yeah, yeah. Jacob, I didn't know you were a wrestler. I knew you were a swimmer. Anybody else? Yeah, unbelievably, that's what I did. I, I was a varsity uh, letter-winning wrestler in my school growing up. Before I was a runner, I was a wrestler. Actually, being a wrestler helped me become a better runner because um, I would go out there and um, see the person I was going to face, and then I would run from them around the thing. And um, I was the best distance runner on my wrestling team. Um, I wasn't the best wrestler, but my team was really good. Um, we had uh, European championships. I was growing up in Germany, and my team won the championship uh, that year that I wrestled. And I came in fifth place, so I wasn't that good, but five of my teammates won first. Five of them won uh, second. And uh, the thing about having a great team in wrestling is when you stand out there against your toughest opponent, um, they can give you all kinds of emotional support, but they can't beat the person for you. And there's nothing that, you know, they're there and they're like, oh, you can, and they see your opponent, they go, yeah, you're in trouble. Um, but okay, go ahead. And the toughest guy I ever fought against was a guy named Richard Sweezy. Now, how do I remember his name? I only met him one time in my life, um, but, but uh, Richard Sweezy was from Bombholder. That was the name of the army base. Uh, that his dad was stationed at. And um, see, I wrestled at 96 pounds. Now, don't, don't laugh at me, but I was five foot five inches tall and I weighed 96 pounds, no lying. Then the next year, ninth grade, I was five foot nine and I wrestled at 108. So somebody said last night, you must have been really wiry. I was like, no, I was just really skinny. And uh, to my opponents, I kind of looked like a pretzel, you know? I mean, they could just see how they could twist me in knots. And uh, Richard Sweezy, I'd seen him wrestle my teammate, but my teammate had dropped down in weight class, so I had dropped down two weight classes, and uh, I met Richard in the first round, and Richard, how do I say this? He wasn't five feet tall, um, but he had a full kind of Duck Dynasty beard. Um, he was a 23-year-old eighth grader. I'm not exactly sure really how old he was, but he did have a wife and three kids, and he was really, really tough, and he, he was the only wrestler I knew in Germany who had a, a move that was named, and his, his move was the homicide cradle. 
and the homicide cradle was you would be standing here wrestling him and he would put one arm around your neck, one arm around your leg, and he would just roll you over on your back in a little ball and you were done. And he had pinned people in like five seconds and six seconds and seven seconds that year. And I knew I was in trouble wrestling him, but he was the, he was the toughest guy I ever wrestled until I decided to go face to face with the God of angel armies. And that's when my life was changed. In the Bible, we have the story of Jacob who wrestled with God. I'm not sure he was planning to wrestle God, but God approached him and they had a a dynamic um, wrestling match, cataclysmic event in Jacob's life that changed him forever. And I wanna read with you about it this morning um, because I believe what happened to him can happen to us as well. So would you open your Bibles with me today? Genesis chapter 32. Uh, verses 22 to 32. I should say um, we've been on Abraham and then Isaac. Laughter was born. Scott's been doing such a great job with this. And uh, Isaac uh, marries Rebecca, as we found out last night. And uh, um, then after that, God gave them two sons. And the two sons were, um, they were fighting in the womb, uh, Esau and Jacob. And Esau is born first. And firstborn in the family gets all these uh, blessings and birthright and all this, but, but um, as he's being born, Jacob is holding on to his heel, and it becomes sort of um, a symbol of Jacob's life, and he gets named the grabber. That's what Jacob means, and he's going to grab, and he's going to grapple, and he's going to wrestle, and, um, and so we pick up the story um, after uh, Jacob has um, wrestled with his brother and his father and his father-in-law, and he's undefeated. He finally meets his match. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together today? In reverence for our God and his word, it says, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men, and you have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. Thank you. You may be seated. Jacob was scared, and uh, it may have been the the first time in his life that he was really frightened. Um, If you remember Jacob's story, he comes out holding on to his brother's uh, heel. His brother was big red. That's what Esau means, big red. And uh, he's the grabber, and um, first chance he gets, he grabs uh, his brother's uh, birthright. His brother was supposed to get two-thirds of the inheritance because he was born first, just minutes before their twins. We got twins here. 
born a few minutes before, so he gets uh, the lion's share of his dad's inheritance. And one day um, Esau's really hungry and Jacob was a pretty good cook. And he said, I'll trade you this, um, this bowl of stew for your birthright. And Esau agreed to that. And so he gave up uh, his two-thirds inheritance to his brother. And then uh, later in his life, um, it turns out that um, even though Isaac and Rebekah have this great beginning to their marriage, um, they got challenges in their family. And Isaac really loves Esau because Esau is a hunter. And, um, and as a result, Rebekah really, really loves Jacob. And they sort of choose teams and there's a battle for the blessing in that family. And I think Jacob knows I'm never going to get my dad's blessing. And so with his mom's help, he steals his God's blessing, he, his dad's blessing. He lies to his dad in the name of the Lord. He swears to his dad in the name of the Lord that he's Esau because his dad's blind and he can't see. And he pretends to be his brother and steals his blessing. And, and as a result, um, Esau says, yeah, I'm going to kill you. Um, I, will, I will take your life for doing this to me. As soon as our dad dies, when the period of mourning is finished, you're dead. And I don't know if you've ever had a brother or sister say that to you, but um, Jacob believed Esau was serious. And so his mom helped him and he ran for his life and he went back to Laban, the brother of Rebekah. Uh, we learned about last night, Laban had given his blessing to Rebekah marrying Isaac. And he goes back there and he meets um, two of Laban's daughters, um, Leah and Rachel, and uh, he, he marries them. And Laban is a, a tricky kind of guy himself. And uh, he keeps changing Jacob's wages. And uh, he says to Jacob, hey, if you want to marry Rachel, just work for me for seven years. So he works for seven years. And it seems like just uh, uh, you know, a few days to him because he's so in love with Rachel. But on the night of his wedding, um, Laban fools him and he ends up getting married to Leah instead of Rachel because of the veil. He doesn't know who he's marrying, but he finds out later and he's kind of upset about it. And so Laban says, oh, I'm sorry, but that, the custom is the older sister marries first. But now you can marry Rachel. Just work for me for seven more years. And there's all this going on. And eventually Jacob figures out a way to outsmart his father-in-law and he steals all his father-in-law's possessions. And one day he runs for his life from his father-in-law. Jacob's always running for his life. And he's running from his father-in-law, but he's running back to his brother. And the last words he's heard his brother say are, I'm going to kill you. And so he gets his family together and there's the Jabbok River between him and the promised land. And he's there looking at the Jabbok River and looking over and he sends his family over and then he sends his possessions over. And I think that's, I think that's powerful. That's a moment where um, for him you kind of see what's important to him. Here's my family. Now, I don't know. I'll give my possessions in a minute. Okay, send my possessions over. Then he goes back and he's alone. And the last time Jacob was alone, he saw a dream of angels ascending and descending a ladder. Every time Jacob is alone, God shows up and God shows up and wrestles with him. And it's an amazing kind of story because he holds on and he holds on and finally, um, and finally, he says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And um, the angel of the Lord wrenches his hip. It's an amazing story. And Jacob spends the rest of his life with a limp. But Jacob is changed and his name is changed to Israel. And it occurred to me that a switch happened in his life at this point. It's a significant shift in Jacob's life because Jacob's whole life, he has been taking what he wanted and even when he deals with God the first time, he kind of plays let's make a deal when he sees this vision of the angels ascending and descending and he says, um, you know, God, you are awesome in this place. 
And I didn't know this was, uh, this was God's house. And he renames Luz and calls it Bethel, the house of God. And he says to God, here's the deal. If you will bless me and really watch over me and give me everything I want, I'm going to give you one-tenth of everything you give me, and you'll be my God. If you'll do this, then I'll do this for you. And it's a kind of conditional relationship. But at the end of his wrestling match with God, there's been a shift in his life because it's no longer about Jacob grabbing what he wants or even asking God, give me what I want. But he comes to the place that he holds on to God until God gives him what God wants for his life. And that's a significant shift in his life, and it's a shift that needs to happen in your life and my life. There needs to come a point when you and I, in our encounter with God, stop saying to him, hey, if you'll do this for me, you scratch my back, God, I'll scratch your back. And we come to the place where we say, God, I am not, I am not going to let go of you until you give me what you want for my life. And um, it's it's a fearful moment to enter into Uh, the ring with God, but it is a great moment. And I love the way that God comes to him. So just a couple thoughts this morning as we think about this story. One, I want to think with you about how we get ready to wrestle with God. And second, what our best move is in wrestling with God. And finally, what happens after we wrestle with God. And the first thing I'd say to you from this, this story is that we get ready to wrestle with God by letting go of our self-sufficiency. Jacob has always been incredibly self-sufficient. And I think even in sending his family over and, and sending his stuff over, he's releasing all the things that he's accumulated that are his security. And he's been sort of storing up and saying, nobody can take these things away from me. And he comes to a place where he goes, you know what? This isn't enough to save my life from my brother. And I'm about to come face to face. And I'm about to sit down, as we all do at some point, to a big banquet of consequences for the choices that I've made. And so I'm sending everything away and he's alone. And I I think Scott was profound last night when he said, there's something about being alone and it's not a bad thing to be alone because here's the thing about our God. If you ever find yourself alone, God will not leave you alone. That's good news. If you're alone and you just want somebody, God will not leave you alone. Here's the other news. If you're running from God and you think you can get away from him, God will not leave you alone. God will come to you. And the amazing thing about this story is that when he's alone and he's given up all this stuff and he's divested himself of all of his possessions, then he's finally ready. It's no longer about Jacob's self-sufficiency. It's about God's sufficiency And that's how he prepares himself, is by letting go of everything that he might have held on to that might have sustained him. And now he realizes it's just me, and he's alone. And when he's alone, God comes to him. A man, see it there, a man wrestled with him. Um, God comes to him in verse 24. And I don't know that he knows that it's God. We don't even know that it's God as we're reading the story until later in the story. But somebody comes and starts wrestling with him. And Jacob begins to deal with God. And it is a powerful moment in his life where God begins to just um, work in his life. And here's his best move when he's wrestling God. He holds on. (laughs) Um, He doesn't have a homicide cradle. He can't win. He can't ultimately win. He's not strong enough to beat God but he can hold on. And so what he does is he holds on 
for all his might. Kind of like some of you were holding on uh, after and acquire the tire, you run in and you grab the first ones. Then at the end of the round, you're waiting for the uh, horn to sound. And what do you do? You just, you just hold on and you're not going to let go. And I love the way he held on to God. After he gave up every, um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one says, let us uh, take off everything that entangles us. And Jacob's got to let go of some things in order to encounter God. And probably we've got to let go of some things uh, to encounter God. Maybe you've got to let go of your own self-sufficiency and your own control of life. Maybe you're, maybe you're wrestling with God. You find yourself wrestling with God this week? I mean, some of you say, yeah, I've already surrendered to God. He's already won. But others of you say, you know, I'm just not sure. I know this is true because I was in a vacation Bible school class last week with some third graders, and we're having this interesting conversation about a Bible story. And one of the girls looks up at me and says, can I just say something? I said, yeah. And she said, I'm just not sure about this whole God thing. She said, I've been thinking about it. And I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm not sure he's really real. I'm not sure there really is a God. And sometimes I really struggle with that. And I'm thinking, here is a third grader. And she's a very smart third grader. Some of you, I think we're in that class that day. But she's like, I'm just wrestling with this. And I have to say to you that even this spring and this summer, I've been wrestling some with God. We lost a baby at our church. Uh, Lila Hope Palermo lived just a few minutes. And we knew during the pregnancy and we were praying hard she was going to survive. And then um, she didn't survive. And... Um, and just being there and holding her and praying with her family. Um, I mean, I was wrestling with God. My last year at New Hope, the year 16 years ago before I came to Tallowood, we lost five babies in seven months. And I came home one day and I looked at Melanie and I said, if one more baby dies, I'm going to die. I just, I can't, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to handle this. And um, Alyssa Corinne Murdoch was the last one in 97 before we moved. And and uh, she was allergic to protein. And I wrestled with that. And maybe you came here this week and you're glad to be here and you're having fun and you're meeting friends and everything. But deep down, you're in a battle right now and you're struggling with whether or not you really believe God is real or if he is real, whether you really want to follow him. And we lost one of our young people this spring and uh, one who was out here and was baptized. And it, it, has, been, it has been agonizing um, to, to, to deal with that and to struggle with that. And I know some of you are struggling with that in a much greater way even than I am. And I would just say that if you're wrestling with God, here's what you need to know. Here's the one move you, you need to know. Hold on. Hold on to him. I have a prayer partner who lives in Washington, D.C., William Gladden. He has a rich and powerful voice. He's a, one of the greatest men I've ever known. He prayed with me on his knees every Wednesday for seven years when we lived in Austin. And he used to say to me, Pastor, here's how you'll know it's God when all you can do is hold on, then that's God. When you don't have control of it, you can't figure it out, you can't manipulate it, you can't make it happen, all you can do is hold on, that's how you know. Yeah, that's God. And uh, I came to believe that, and I'm convinced of that. We had a, um, a leader, much like your counselors in my church in Germany when I was growing up, and her name was Beverly, and she loved us and we loved her and she poured into our lives, but she had some pretty dark struggles in her life. Um, sometimes she wasn't sure whether she wanted to live and she battled with that the whole time. She's loving us. She's dealing with her own pain and her own struggles. And uh, eventually the Air Force, because of her struggles, decided to send her back to the United States. And before she left, she stood up and she sang in our church. She was a singer too. And um, I'll never forget the words she sang. I mean, this, you know, it's not a song that I knew before or have sung since, but I remember her singing, um, is your burden heavy 
as you bear it all alone? Is the road you travel, does it harbor dangers yet un unknown? Um, are you growing weary through the struggle of it all? Re um, Jesus will help you when on his name you call. Um, he is always there hearing every prayer, faithful and true, walking by our side. In his love we hide all the day through. When you get discouraged and you don't know what to do, reach out to Jesus because he's reaching out for you. And she held on. She sang that song and she held on to God and God, God delivered her and gave her strength. And here's the thing about Jacob. He knows he can't do it by himself anymore. We know that because earlier in this chapter, he prays the longest prayer in the whole book of Genesis. And in that prayer, he goes, okay, okay you're the God of my father Abraham and you're the God of my father Isaac. And right now I need you to be my God and I need you to deliver me. And um, the fact that, that Abraham had walked with God and Isaac had walked with God, Jacob finally comes to the place where he goes, you know what? Can a guy like me really be a part of what God is doing? Can God really use somebody who's messed up the way I have? Can God really forgive somebody like me? Am I ever really going to be able to do anything great for God? And the fact that his dad was a, was a follower of God and his grandfather was, that didn't matter because he had to come to the place where he wrestled with God and he became a follower of God. I have a friend named Mike Slimgan who used to work in a plumbing supply shop and he was always trying to tell his friends about Christ and, and um, they were always laughing at him and he would hand them little tracts that talked about God and they would throw them away and, and that made him mad one day and he was, he, somebody had taken all the tracts he had left in the break room and thrown them in the garbage and he was down on his knees picking them up out of the garbage and one of the guys walked by and laughed at him and said, what are you doing, Mike, picking up your tracts? And he was so angry, he looked up at him and said, what do you know about tracts? What would you know about tracts? Because the guy was profane and awful and terrible. And, and the guy said, hey, well, you know what? My dad was a Baptist preacher. And my grandfather was a Baptist preacher. I'll have you know, I'm descended from Baptist preachers. And Mike Slimgan said, he looked up at him and said, and I'll have you know, that won't do you one bit of good when you stand before God someday. The fact that your dad was or your grandfather was or your mom was, that's not going to get you in. And Jacob, for the first time, he's alone. But God won't leave him alone and all he can do, you know, the, the kids, Jacob, you acted it out well the other day, the tribe of Jacob. He didn't like twist his leg or, you know, put an arm bar on him so that he would tap out. He just touched him. That's the word in Hebrew. He just touched his hip. And, and in that moment, Jacob knows, okay, so whoever this is, is more powerful than I am. And I can't win this. I can't defeat God, but I can hold on to God. And that's your best move. And what happens when we wrestle with God, when you and I grapple with God is that he changes us. And we know that Jacob changes because he walks away with a limp. He's gonna have that limp for the rest of his life. But it's better to limp through life than to live life as a grasping grabber, always taking what you want from other people. And Jacob's name is changed to Israel. He says, what's your name? And, and um, the one who's wrestling with him says, why do you ask my name? What's your name? And Jacob tells him his name and he says, yeah, you're no longer Jacob. You're not going to be a grabber anymore. You're not going to take from people anymore. You're going to be Israel, the one who has prevailed with God. Do you believe that people can really change? Or are you and I are just going to be the way we are for the rest of our lives? I loved um, the year that I wrestled. A lot of crazy things happened. My dad drove the bus and and the wheels came off the back of the bus one time while we were driving on a mountain pass. The back wheels passed the bus. That's always a bad sign. And um, 
and I, I remember um, one of my teammates, Skeeter, he jumped up and grabbed those bars that run the length of the bus and put his feet on the roof while the bus was kind of swerving. My dad, you know, we rode an army bus in. Um, but here's what I remember about that year. If my dad was watching me, I never lost. Every time my dad was there watching, I never lost. Something about him in the room, it, it felt like I wasn't alone, like he was with me and I could win. We had a guy on the bus named Ray Feltz who came from North Carolina. He was like a 16-year-old eighth grader. He wasn't as old as Richard Sweezy, but he was close. And he was the most profane guy on the team. I remember he brought pornography on the bus and tried to pass it around. And um, he was the worst student in the school. Teachers hated him. He was always getting kicked out of class. He was always getting in fights. And um, he came to a retreat, a camp setting like this with us. He lived uh, in my apartment complex. And I invited him. And he came. And he became a believer in Christ. And um, when he became a believer in Christ, he went all in. We were leading a Bible study in my house. And he was coming to that Bible study. So he started a Bible study at his apartment. And he led a lot of kids to Christ that year. And we went back to school for the ninth grade. And um, he was on the wrestling team again. But he, I remember at the end of our ninth grade year, he won the award at the awards assembly for the most improved student. God absolutely turned Ray Feltz upside down. He surrendered to be a preacher. A lot of the kids in our student group that year surrendered to become preachers. And uh, Ray's life was completely changed. How do we know, how do we know that, that Jacob changed? Well, first of all, um, instead of grabbing things, he gives all his stuff to his brother. Um, we read that later in the story when he r- runs into Esau and Esau forgives him. It's a powerful story. And he looks at Esau and says, just to see your face is like seeing the face of God. And Joseph's watching that, watching his uncle forgive his dad. Joseph is right there by his dad. He's got a front row seat. And Jacob uh, finds not only God's forgiveness, but he finds his brother's forgiveness. And the other thing he does is he builds an altar to the Lord when he gets to the place that he's going to live. And he calls it El Eloha El Eloha Israel, God who is the God of Israel. And his name has become Israel. And he says, God, you are my God. Yeah, back, back to my wrestling match with God. Um, when I finished eighth grade, I was already reading the Bible. I was um, preparing uh, to preach. I knew God was calling me. But I went through a period of time where I just, I just rebelled. I just didn't want anything to do with God. I just wanted to sort of back away from that. And um, I'll, I'll never forget because it was July the 4th, 1976. And my family was going on vacation. We were over in Germany. We rode a cable car up a mountain. I bought an ice cream, and uh, I was uh, standing beside the road eating the ice cream, and a bee came up. I was always afraid of bees, Um, and so I started running from the bee and, uh, you know, uh, juked and uh, cut across the road just in time for a Mercedes truck to hit me, and for a while I could fly, and then I hit the ground and just landed there. My mom and dad were, um, my dad was up ahead in the crowd. My mom was behind me and, she, and somebody said, Dwayne just got hit by a truck. And moms, you know, I love my mom, but she just kind of, she just kind of lost it, you know, and she came running up there and I'm laying on the ground and she's like, I have told you not to play in traffic. I have, t-, and she was like, let me, I'm like, okay, I'm okay, mom. Just don't hurt me. I'm okay. I'm going to be fine. But the coolest thing about it was my dad was up further in the crowd and I could see him 
And when the message got to him, I'm sort of laying there dazed, but I've got like, I'm at this perfect angle where I can see my dad up through the crowd. And he's up on this hill and he starts coming down the hill, but everybody else is going that way. And he just starts sifting. My dad's a really big guy. And he just starts sifting people. And people, people are flying and dying, man. He's just going down through the crowd and he's running like a linebacker. You know, he's J.J. Watt coming to rescue his son. And he gets over there and I'm still laying on the ground. My dad looks down at me and he goes, did you get hit by the truck? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, are you okay? And I said, I think so. And he reached down and he just pulled me up with one arm and he smacked me on the backside and he said, now quit acting a fool. And then he just walked off. (laughs) And I, I remember that story because in a way, in my dad's voice, I think I heard my heavenly father's voice that day. And in this period of rebellion in my life, I mean, I'm not saying God sent the truck to hit me, but I'm just saying when the truck hit me, he had my undivided attention. And I remember um, a a turn in my life, and that was the beginning of um, God doing some amazing things in my life. And a lot of my ninth grade friends that year became followers of Christ and were baptized, and God began to work in that, and I preached my first sermon that year. And it it was out of that experience that God transformed me and changed me, and I learned something. I can't beat God. I mean, I never look at the God of angel armies and go, yeah, I I think I can take him. (laughs) I never think that. But I know enough to hold on to him. Emily Griffin says prayer is clinging, clinging to God, holding on to him, not letting go of him. And if we hold on to God, if we hold on to God, we will discover that God is holding on to us and he is changing us. And the good news is, the really good news is, we don't have to be who we've always been. God can change us. God will change us. If we will encounter him and hold on to him, God will change us and we will take on the name Christian, little Christ, follower of Christ, he will change us. And here's what I want to say to you. And I just want to leave you with this thought this morning. Hold on to God until he makes you who he always knew you could be. Don't hold on to God till you get what you want from him. Hold on to God until he gets what he wants for you. Let's pray together. I'm just going to pray a Celtic blessing over you this morning. Just take this with you this morning. May the Lord Christ walk ahead of you to prepare and plan your way. May he walk beside you, companion on your journey as you go. May he walk behind you to complete what you must leave undone. May he be under you to support and sustain you when you fall. May he be within you to give peace and comfort on the journey. But above all, may the Lord Christ be over you, watching, calling, guiding, and challenging now and forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen.